Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. It's been a tough few weeks in the tech community. There have been a lot of large layoffs in companies like Twitter, Meta, Stripe, many more. It's a difficult situation for everyone. Even if you're not being laid off, it's it's a lot uh, for the whole community to handle. So I thought it would be a really good discussion for us on an episode. Let's give introductions of today's panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Augustus. I'm a software engineer at Twitch. Yep, Stacey London, principal front-end engineer in Trello. Jim Young, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm an engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Severance. Severance. So let's dive in. How are each of you feeling about the whole tech layoffs? What are thoughts that come to your minds? It's definitely, it's definitely mentally taxing. Um, well, and just to clarify, uh, actually, Twitch didn't have layoffs. It was Amazon, um, but being a even like a subsidiary of them, it really affects. I don't know. It just kind of has an impact on you, you know. And um, I've definitely worked at companies where that have had multiple layoffs. And it's hard to explain. It feels like there's like the survivor mentality you feel when you don't get laid off, but it's, it's just like, you just, there's like a lot, especially if like you knew someone who got laid off, it's just the worst feeling. And it's definitely like, this is like a really, really, um, painful time for a lot of people and it's important that we can find a way to show support yeah, as well put augustus you do feel like that not guilt i don't know i, I don't feel guilt like it just like it is what it is and i i know that's like cold if i was on the other end i that's probably not the right way to say it but i don't know i, I don't know how to phrase it properly which is like you know i think we saw this coming for a while I guess let me step back a little bit. Um, so Netflix had like a bad Q4 of last year, a bad fourth quarter, and didn't have a great first quarter either. So like our stock tanked early and everybody's throwing out their theories on like, oh, blah, 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 it's their content, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody like took their, took their turn to dunk on Netflix because we were the first ones or one of the early ones in Silicon Valley to, to do layoffs of like the big fan companies, um, which wasn't great. Like as a manager, like having to keep morale up when you see like articles coming out all the time about like, oh, the end of Netflix, this is a problem with their culture, it doesn't work, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But really, like it was an it's an economic thing and it always was an economic thing. But you know, when you're the one of the only companies doing it, you know, they all took their turns at us. Um, which, you know, I, I had a lot of conversations with the team about like, you know, we're, we're actually doing fine. You know, this is just necessary. But now, so we're like we Netflix went through our layoffs pretty early. And, you know, we got a lot of press over it. It was like Q3 of this year of 2022 and going to Q4, all the other companies are starting to do layoffs too. Cause they're also like, oh crap, this is not going to turn around. The economy is, is doing really poorly. We look at our projections the next year, we either got to lay off now or we got to lay a lot of people off next year. So we're going to cut, cut now. And that's, what's been, I don't know. That's my mental state of there'll be more. Um, it's just a matter of like who and how far it trickles down. Does it go down to startups and affect VC funding, stuff like that? Or is it just the big companies that grew really, really big in 2020 and it's going to stop there? I don't know. 
it, it is a weird feeling, but I, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty, pretty confident so far, but you never know. You never know in this economy. It's interesting too, Jim. Like, I like that you kind of brought us to the like history of how kind of we've got here. And a big part of it too, is I think a lot of companies going into COVID, a lot of things changed. And then even coming out of COVID, a lot of things have changed. And so I think some companies overhired in not really understanding how the market was going to shape up after or wherever we're at kind of in this after state of COVID. And I think that that's been a bit of the, that problem too, is like, it was so hard to predict. And so companies are hiring up because the need was there during the pandemic, but now we're in a different state and it's, it's not that uh, same state. So the meta layoffs happened fairly recently. They laid off uh, 11,000 people or something like that, which is a crap ton. That's, that's a lot of people. And then uh, Zuckerberg, actually, the, the CEO of, of Meta, released a, a letter in which he's like, this is on me. Here's what happened is we assumed all of this, like during the pandemic when we're all second home, we're all online shopping. We assumed this kind of new digital native world came about where like more people are just going to naturally be online all the time. And this is the new normal. And it turns out like we were all wrong and things are actually going back to pre-pandemic levels. And we see this on Facebook uh, user uh, data. We see this on Amazon shopping trends where we were all buying stuff online. We've actually slowed down on that. And that's just, it's it's kind of just reality check for Silicon Valley because we we're so used to this like 12 years of unchecked growth. And now all of a sudden it's like, hey, actually we're not growing anymore. We're actually shrinking a little bit. And we grew too fast in the past two years because like everybody was hiring. Remember that when nobody was hiring and then everybody was hiring and then they're giving out money and then like suddenly it just cut out. And that's where we are today, unfortunately. I think Twitch is pretty fortunate uh, because we we had to do hiring freezes earlier on in this year. And, you know, of course, everyone was very, very skeptical when they heard that. But now we're very thankful that we did those. And it's like... Those are like the kind of things that might scare you at first, especially if you're at a company and you know this is impacting so many people now. Amazon recently also announced they laid off like thousands of people and um, and you know I would say that as scary as it is to hear about hiring freezes at your companies, it's also a good sign that they're kind of trying to be mindful of that. So if anyone's experiencing that, you know, that isn't something to be like, oh, my goodness, like, are we doomed or something? That's actually like a good sign that your leadership is kind of paying attention and is trying to look out for the company. It's a good point, too. And and I think you all, I think, Augustus, you had started even talking about almost feeling weird or gem, like you had mentioned that, too, of like, if you're the one staying. And that can be really tough. Like, I remember many years ago at a agency I worked at where like half the team was gone and you're like, okay, I didn't get cut. That's great, but it's not great either to still be staying there. Like, cause it's just like morale and everything is so down because of it. Um, and that's hard too. Like, I think that that's a hard state to be in. Yeah. It, um, I, I can't help but think of this. Like, um, we did an episode on imposter syndrome and, it just like, at least for me, magnifies like tenfold, knowing that it, it could have been me, you know, it could have been any of us, you know, and it's, it's just this crazy feeling. Are there ways in which like, 
you can predict these things happening at a company. Like it's it's one of those things in hindsight, you're like, oh, maybe like we over predicted things in the pandemic and how it's changed. But are there really signs that you can even predict something like this of like ha- companies having to do that? I want to like throw out some bad advice, but you, you can't really. Part of it is like you have to have faith in the leadership team. Part of it is being aware of like larger macroeconomic conditions. Like in recession, companies spend less on ads. If your company is dependent on ad revenue, they're going to take a hit. That's just like how the the whole system works. Um, so part of it is like you. I don't know. I don't. I don't think you can. And you never know if even if they did layoffs, if you're going to be part of that cut or not. Uh, cause that's someone above you, some VP or even higher making that kind of like this passion project. That's really impactful. We're going to cut it cause it's not part of our core business or it's not making money or something like that. That's a little tricky. I think what a hedge potentially is doing boring work. If that, if that makes sense, like not doing the sexy crypto chat bot whatever the flavor of of this year for tech is and just doing like the core i build ui i build databases i build backend i I, i'm a network engineer i'm security engineer like these core things are usually probably a little bit safer than hey we're coming up with a new virtual reality headset for a car for self-driving cars that sounds awesome that sounds fantastic i would love to work on that however is that going to be the first thing to get cut when like it comes push comes to shove absolutely and that's I don't know. That that's like the the risk you always take with your career. It's like taking one direction or another. But yeah, I think that's like maybe a good way to put it, Gem, is it's like a risk that you kind of should be factoring in is like maybe that doesn't matter in the short term where you're like, I really want to learn this headset for cars, like self-driving cars. Like that's like could be something that you're like, I'm so passionate about it, it's worth that risk. But I agree with you is that like certain things like that get cut, um, where it's yeah, it's exploratory. It's still a huge bet. And if you have to start scaling back the business, those are usually the first things to go. I just completely agree with Jim that it, and it's like a common question. I, I see a lot of people like kind of say, say like, do, could we see this coming? I, I sometimes, you, you see at company all hands, like people will ask like, you know, was there any way we could have predicted this? And I'll just be honest. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really good ways to predict it. And that's like what makes it so important to be paying attention to like what's happening, not just like within your company, but outside in general, you know, and not like, not necessarily going too quickly to blame your leadership necessarily, right? Like, I think there are some things that are kind of out of our control here. And yeah, this is just, it's kind of an unfortunate time right now, but like advertising spend is definitely going to take a hit and that's just what happens during recessions. And if your company is very reliant on it, then yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's hard. It is hard to predict it. I, I once, maybe I can talk about this later in the episode too, but I was part of some layoffs, but it was that it was part of a company that had never done that kind of thing before ever. And they'd been around for a very, very long time. And there were people that had worked there their entire careers, like 20, 30 years. And so like there was this idea that, I get a job here and I'm here for the rest of my life. I don't need, you know, to ever worry. And it's very stable and, you know, it's made it through ups and downs and macroeconomic, you know, conditions and all of that. And it still happened. So like you could definitely see it kind of broke people's, I don't know, idea of what 
work is and what it means to like have some sort of like long-term job somewhere. It was, I was young, so it was right there. It was different for me, but there were some folks there that, you know, been there a really long time. And that was, yeah, shattering your idea of like what work is and, and what it means to, to be a part of a company for a long time. Were you part of those layoffs, Stacey? Like immediate, like I knew you were there when the layoffs were happening, but like, did you get laid off as well? I did. Yeah. A whole story. If, if we want to start telling layoff stories, I could, <laughs> I could share that one. I mean, it's gotta be tough. I, I mean, I think it is worth kind of digging at. Yeah. I, I, I was working for, well, I won't, I won't, I guess, leave company names or anything, but I was working for a company that um, I was pretty early in my career, so I hadn't been working a long time when it happened. Um, but it was for a company that had never done that kind of thing before. And so I kind of thought I'd be working there for a really long time. Like I liked my job. I liked my coworkers. Um, but they were a private company that had been they purchased their one of their biggest competitors, which was like semi-public. And so there was some, I think, additional scrutiny on the books. Like, oh, you're spending like way too much on R&D or like IT or tech um, com- compared to like other companies like this in the industry. So, you know, you probably need to like slim that down. And then there was, this was also around the time of like a big movement towards like offshoring and like doing a lot of work with like Indian companies like uh like wipro and and there's like a bunch of um companies like that where it was doing a lot of augmentation that way and so there was a hundreds of us that lost our job and we were i don't know it was the 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 hardest part for me was we in order to get severance (laughs) you had to train your replacement cheers (laughs) cheers 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 you had to train your replacement (laughs) No. And they and they had to sign off to say that you what? did a good enough job that they felt confident that they could do do your you know responsibilities and role at that that killed me. Um. Wow, <laughs> could you imagine like not doing a good enough job? Like they're like, eh, like you kind of trained the person, so you're not qualified for your severance. <laughs> Sorry, bye. <laughs> Cheers. That's ridiculous. Cheers. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. It was very surreal. And then the other thing, I mean, I kind of knew it was going to happen, like where they started asking me questions about like, hey, if, would you mind being a manager of a team, an offshore team, only offshore? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And that like sounds like a lot of weird hours and I just, that doesn't sound good at all. So I kind of, and as I was saying it, I'm like, Oh, I'm sealing my fate. I feel like this is like, I'm for sure going to be in the layoff group by saying no to this question. So I guess in that way I predicted, I could predict a little bit, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, I respect you for the fact that you were like, no, I do not want to do that. Yeah. I was like, and, and it was, because I was so early in my career, I didn't have a lot of the stuff that makes it really hard for people. Like I didn't have a gigantic mortgage. I don't, you know, have kids. I didn't have all these sort of things that add to that weight of a burden of having a job, like, or, you know, giant medical conditions where like having, having insurance is tied to your job. That's huge for a lot of people, almost everybody. You know, you can easily go bankrupt in this company if you don't have health insurance. So, 
Yeah. That's a big one. Or another big one that people don't think of too is being on a visa. Like when you are, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not an American citizen. I mean, a lot of these companies are American. And so that is really tough too, because that is an added fear for folks. You have a very limited time to find another job and you're tied to a work visa. Like you have to be working to live in that country. And there's a lot of people who've been here a lot longer than I have in the US who still don't have American citizenship. And so they're on these long H-1B visas and that can be really tough too. And like, that's really an additional scary piece where you've built your life here and like, you're like, oh shit, I may not have a job tomorrow and have to scramble to find something. That, that to me, there's a lot of these facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good good call out, Stacey, on the one. That, that sounds like a terrible experience, having to train your replacement. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's just good. awful. Um, I'm sorry to go through that. (laughs) That's rough. Yeah. But the, I think the medical insurance is, is a really, really big one and totally under it underestimated now that, you know, I have two kids and a wife. I I was just like, you know, playing around with how much it would cost to put all of them on my insurance. I'm like, it's a lot of money. It it is a lot of money to have like the whole family. Like you say, if, uh, someone got laid off to have on one insurance, like that will sink you really quickly, but you got to have it. Otherwise, yeah, medical debt will, will take you down really, really quickly in this country. Um, one of the other, I guess, interesting parts to the story, too, is I had, um, I guess I'll, I'll try and do positive spins on that nightmare of a, of a situation. Positive spins were I had a really good manager at the time, and they as part of the severance package, they set you up with people to like help you find jobs and, and that kind of stuff, which was, which was nice. Um, and I ended up finding a job pretty quick, but it was like, they wanted me to start before I officially my end date. There was some like weird overlap where I needed to like, if I was going to do it, I would have had to have quit and lost my severance to take the new job. There was like this timing thing. And my, my new, my manager was really great. She was like, no, like we let's figure this out. And she figured it out and got it so that I was able to leave earlier than I was supposed to and still got my severance, which was really nice. So yay for managers fighting for <laughs> their people. <laughs> it's probably good because I got a different job. I got new experiences. I, I met new people. Like I wouldn't be here now with you all doing this podcast if that hadn't happened. Butterfly effect of, of things changing the trajectory of your life. It's good things to come so out that of that in itself. Stacey, you're on this podcast. I love that. <laughs> that's a win in itself. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's that's awesome Like to actually have management helping. I've heard in instances where people have gotten let go and their their managers like helping them to find a new role nobody expects these things to happen and even that manager in that situation probably had zero call on you getting let go and so that that's really cool to have a manager who actually cares and does that uh, i think about this in the sense that like how would you approach even talking with your manager maybe even being on a team that still stayed right like there's peers like you all mentioned earlier is like you have a peer that got let go or another team that you work closely with got completely let go and it's like this can affect mental health too and i'm curious like how each of you would maybe deal with that talking to a manager and should you talk to them yeah you should talk to your manager i've found in my albeit still still limited experience as a as an engineering manager is you are a therapist. Sometimes people will talk to you about problems that are unrelated to work sometimes. And you, 
you listen. Uh, so yeah, you're hopefully you have that relationship with your manager and you should be able to like be candid. I'm like when Netflix was going through layoffs earlier this year, I was super candid with the team. I'm like, here's what I know. Here's what's just speculation. So like, if you hear that or read that, like in some article or journal, that's speculation. They don't understand our finan- financials or what we're doing. So here's what I know. Any other questions, you know, I can point to my manager or we can have like a bigger town hall or something like that. Or I can give this feedback to my manager. We can put us together an FAQ or something like that. That's something that a manager should be doing is if a lot of people are feeling nervous or kind of like, ah, you know, I'm getting, having a lot of anxiety about the current market is your manager should be feeding that upwards to upper leadership so they can either assure them or I don't know. Sometimes it's bad news too, and they don't want to tell you that, which is unfortunate. But yeah, you should always like tell your manager you're having these thoughts and feelings. It doesn't help to keep it bottled in, and then you're just like a nervous wreck every single week. I, I think a big piece of that, Jeff, I love how you put that. I think encouraging more vulnerability in that sense is like building that trust and being able to be open and honest with your team or your manager. I think it's huge. And so I think, yeah, if you're able to build that trust and say like, with your manager, like, I'm struggling with this, like, how do I deal with it? And they may not have the answers, but I think even just sometimes being on that same page can go a long way too. where you're like, oh, at least my manager understands where I'm, how I'm dealing with this. And like, that that can go a long way. So I love that you called that out. I like when managers or leadership to proactively message about stuff, like, especially right now with all the laughs happening, like, even if maybe people haven't said like, oh, this is making me nervous. It's, it was like nice to see some of my leadership as an example, like proactively be like, hey, we know like things are a little, uh, you know, uneasy in the market and blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of stuff happening. You know, here's where, you know, here's where Atlassian is positioned. Here's where our financials are. And this is, you know, we feel good about blah, blah, blah. So like that's helpful. Uh, the proactive side of that's helpful too. That's a really good call out too, is like a lot of communication is getting ahead of things instead of being reactive too. Sometimes the reactiveness is actually, it doesn't feel as good when a leader is being silent on some of those things. I also love Ryan, how you mentioned, you know, it's not just the manager. Hopefully you can feel comfortable talking to the whole team about it. And I, I personally think like just getting the team together to just talk together and vent about it is like really really great way to like get some of those emotions out Um, and you know not everyone's comfortable doing that so that's totally fine don't feel like you need to do that but um i i i heavily encourage y'all like to check in with your teammates because i guarantee they're probably feeling something too and it is really tempting to just bottle it in Uh, but once someone like kind of speaks up about it it makes it a lot easier i feel like I personally, it, help, it helps me a lot more. Um, but yeah, I, I hope everyone who listens to our podcast can develop a good relationship with their manager. They're definitely your allies. I know, I don't know that this, when I was a kid, I, I had these misconceptions that when layoffs happened, the manager was like, oh, I'm going to pick this person <laughs> because they called me something weird or something. But it's many times it's not even in their control. They can't even choose and you know, they, they are your ally and they're, they're just as much in it as you are. And, you know, it's important that you can work with them 
And, and to riff off that excellent point, I understand your, I guess, be kind to your manager too during these times. I'd say most of the time, line level managers don't have any more information than you do. Like if there's layoffs coming, managers don't know about it because we're, we're too far down the food chain. And I know it's kind of a, you look at your manager like, oh, obviously they know what's going on. They're awesome. They're handsome. They, they're <laughs> uh, but I, like, you know, what I've experienced this year is most of the time, I don't know this stuff is coming. I can, I can choose how to react. I can choose how to disseminate that information in a way that doesn't cause any like alarm. But I'm not in control of these things. These decisions are made above me. And sometimes it was difficult. Sometimes the, the team would ask me hard questions that I don't have answers to. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I will tell you everything I know. Uh, but that's it. But I've also heard instances of like people just like really tearing into their manager and like, why aren't you doing this? And like not treating them well. And just remember they're people too. And they're they're just in the middle. And it's even worse because like they don't as a manager, it's really tough during these times because you're aware that you don't produce um you don't produce like a tangible output for the company, I guess is the way of putting it. As an IC, the power you have is like I build this product, I shipped these 10 things last year, these commits have my name on it. As a manager, you have none of that. Your your output is purely based on your team. And so like you start getting nervous too, because you're like, if they're cutting people, are they going to cut the engineers who made something? Are they going to cut the manager who, you know, your question, your your value is always questionable. It's not true. You obviously need a manager. I think we all agree that. But during these times when things are getting a little, little tight, as a manager, you're nervous too. And then you have to answer questions about you from your team when you have your own concerns too about your role and your team's role, et cetera. So it's not a, like a, a tiny violin for managers. It's just like, let's all be kind to each other. Like Augustus said, like get to know each other, be vulnerable, be candid. I think that goes a long way, especially because you don't know these things are coming. It's really uncertain, but hopefully you have each other and you hopefully you have these relationships and this trust that will carry you through. I mean, I, I like what you said there, Jim, too, is like sometimes also the management is just like dealing with it maybe seconds before and having to like share that message like really quickly with their team. And sometimes they haven't even had time to like internalize it. Right. And so that that can be tough. I think honestly, in all leadership levels, uh, I think this is tough to deal with reading like, let's say Mark Zuckerberg's letter that was published for the meta employees getting let go. I, I read that and was like, man, that's got to be tough. Like to make that call for such a large percentage of your employees. I thought he did a really good job trying to own it, take responsibility for that. But like at the end of the day, that still sucks. Like, you know, even to have to make that decision for people, it's not like he was like, yeah, you know what? It's okay. Let's let people go. It's like, that's a big decision to have to make and then, you know, execute on it. A question for you all is what, what does all this mean for the market? People are already saying it's uh, a tech winter or whatever popular vernacular you want to use. But how do you think all of this will affect kind of the overall tech market? I mean, we're definitely going to see headcount reduced. So finding jobs is a little bit harder. So for the next like maybe few quarters, it might be difficult for there'll, there'll be definitely companies hiring but i th don't think there will be as many choices that we've typically had in years prior that will definitely be something that will affect things i i think right away like if not already that's what the market's looking like yeah if you're if you're like a new grad 
right now. I, I really feel for you. Like tech is hard and competitive as it is. And to have this kind of happen will def I I I know it, it sucks. It, like there's no easy way to say that. Like it feels so unfair that it happens at a time when you're graduating. Uh, but you know things will things always turn around so but yeah it, it sucks there's no really easy way of saying it um i don't know if there's any advice we can give to any new graduate listeners um one thing i was thinking about is a lot of this is like layoffs like are in companies that are software specific like these are all software companies that's their sole thing but there's a lot of companies out there that have tons of tech jobs that are not um, that's the software's not their only thing and they haven't done layoffs and they're, you know, so I think that there's still going to be those kinds of jobs and maybe that's not what you're looking for, but I feel like there, there'll still be a lot of openings um, in different industries, but still related to like programming and building software. Yeah, actually that's a super good point that is worth mentioning. Like most of the companies that are getting hit are ones that have very high advertising revenue. And there's actually a lot of companies that are doing very well, you know, post COVID and they're not as impacted. Um, they, they may get impacted later, but so there, there's still a lot of hope. Yeah. And also I, I wonder just, you know, it's, it's really hard to predict clearly, even the sense that companies wouldn't have predicted this happening, but it's also wonder like how long will this like last too, right? Like I think that, it might only be part of a year that people are kind of having to deal with this and the companies start to build up. Like I said, there may slow down on hiring. Maybe that starts to build up halfway through next year where it's it's still not going to be like, boom, we turn on and we're hiring a bunch of people. But maybe that starts to just like slowly pick up again. Yeah, that's the thing we'll, we'll see. I think watching all this unfold and being kind of in, in the middle of uh, like Silicon Valley and tech, we don't know, but I, I see how connected everything is. Like consumer spending's down. You're like, cool. But if consumer spending's down, then advertisers are spending less because why would they advertise if people aren't buying? If they're buying less, then companies' revenues like Google or Meta are down because in Twitter, they're all reliant on advertisers. And like you start understanding like, okay, how does this company make money? That, that's something you probably should always understand about any job, but understand who are the customers? How does it, how do these companies make money? I think there are certain places that are, I won't say rock solid, nothing's rock solid, but there are places that are better positions right now to be at. Uh, not not to uh, give you a, a free shout out, but Atlassian like, is a business to business company. You're always going to need Jira. You're always going to need these tools. People aren't cutting those budgets because like, they're not, you know, they're not a software engineer salary that they're looking at, and, but they always need like that sort of tooling. Uh, those are pretty safe. Business consumer is a little bit trickier because when people aren't buying, people aren't buying. But businesses are always spending money. Like even when they're losing money, they're spending a lot of money. Those are traditionally a little bit safer in times like these. So yeah, uh, like you called out, Stacey, there are there are other jobs out there. It just may not be where you're looking or it may not be like the, the hip, cool job that you want to work at. But tech is still hiring. I still see plenty of jobs. It's just a little bit probably a little bit more competitive now and salaries are probably going to stay flat this year, probably next year. It is a free market. This, you know, if there's a lot of talent, then 
salaries don't have to go up. That's just how it goes. I don't know how long it's going to last. Maybe, hopefully just a couple of quarters. Hopefully not in 2024, but just pure speculation. Yeah, it's so hard to know. Good call out on the salaries too. Like I think that that's a really important one too. If the market's like not hiring as much, the salaries may not change much for a while either. Which is, I hate to say this. And like I, all our front of happy hour regulars take this in the best way possible because I don't mean to be like glib about it. I'm not going through a layoffs and I, I recognize they're very difficult. However, there is some upside to this, which is companies are getting lean again. We've gotten pretty fat in, in tech over the past decade because like the stock market just kept going up. You, you literally throw money at anything, whether it be like crypto or <laughs> the latest ML, whatever. How many self-driving cars startups are there in San Francisco? Like a dozens, dozens and dozens. Like we've gotten pretty, pretty lax about being efficient with capital and being efficient with our time. And we just like, we're throwing stuff out there. I mean, stock market's been up for the past 12 years. Like literally any stock you can pick, it just shot up there. So on layoffs, are they, they suck. There, there's no way around it. It's, it's very painful. On the other hand, it's, it's good that companies are leaning out and being like, hey, you know, maybe we don't need 50 engineers dedicated to this, I don't know, virtual reality experience for pets or something like that. And that's, I mean, that's a natural cycle of, of business, which is, you know, recession, boom and bust, et cetera. But still, yeah, it, it's still, it's hard to see, but we will see companies emerge out of here that are leaner and meaner and more efficient and can do a lot more with fewer engineers and for less money. And that's kind of the point. That's how capitalism works for better, for worse. So it's one way you're looking at it is, is in some ways it's positive too. Like it, you know, as engineers, like we deal with constraints. Well, you know what? This is a business getting constraint a bit to really figure that out. And some sometimes that can actually also create innovation, right? Just like you're tightening up things that you're, how do we deal with this? Or how do we scale the business more? And so, you know, there are likely some ways that you can look at positives out of it too. Oh, I like that innovation. Yeah. Why, why innovate when you can just solve a problem by throwing more servers and more engineers at a problem? Like you're not, you're not forcing anybody to push the bounds and maybe this will. I don't know. I'm really struggling to like see this rationally as like a rational, unemotional person who sees purely like numbers. But on the other hand, like it's real people at the other end. It could have been me with my mortgage and my kids in school and my health insurance, and all these things. So I don't know. I, I'm really struggling how to like articulate this well without being cold hearted. There's a part of me too. You just don't see a lot of, uh, you know, like the, the charts about, you know, executive salaries versus everybody else's salaries and how divergent they've been over decades and decades and they keep getting wider. And I don't see a lot of uh, execs being like, Hey, maybe, since I made the mistake of overhiring, maybe I take a pay cut and we keep you around until things get better. I don't see that happening very often. And I, and I get it right. This is capitalism, you know, but it also bums me out. Cause it's like the person, you know, if, if there is true accountability, be accountable, you know, and maybe make a little sacrifice to keep, keep people around. That's not a very good take. And, People are probably, <laughs> I just, I, 
no, that's, that, a that's, take, that's a great take. That's, a, that's the realest take there is, though. So true. No, I'll, I'll tell you, if I was on the other side of a layoff, uh, say I was at Meta down, I'm getting laid off, I'd be pissed off. I'd be so angry. Because, like, they still make for, like, their their uh, net income or the net revenue last quarter was like $36 billion. And you're like laying me off and my like tiny salary on top of that. Like it is insulting. Why, why aren't CEOs losing their, their bonuses for the year or how much could like that, that extra pay raise the the board got this year? How many engineers could you have kept on for that? It is unfair. It is an unfair system. And that is the reality of the situation is the people who often grew too much and overhired to make their kingdoms bigger. Like, look at me. I, I have 400 engineers underneath me because I hired all of them. And now we have to lay off half of them. Who's like, yeah, whose responsibility is that? It's the person that, that did that. They didn't plan well. They weren't lean. They were just like, let me inflate my status. Are those people getting laid off? Probably not. They're probably not losing bonuses. They're probably not taking a pay cut. So yeah, I mean, it's it's right to be angry about these things. But I don't know. I don't want to be like <laughs> all morose about it and say like, oh, it is what it is. But part of it, it is what it is. Hopefully you have a good company and it will take care of you. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just want to say I, I appreciate, Jim, you saying that because, you know, there are two sides, people who are getting laid off, but also people who are still at the company. And there's at least for me, I, I was part of a company that had multiple layoffs. Like, I think I had three of them. And every time a layoff happened, I had to ask myself, do I want to stay or do I want or should I leave? And it's a really scary feeling. But one thing that I had to realize was, you know, like lay, like a company deciding to lay off while it sucks is something very like is a very mature decision that a company needs to make when they realize, hey, we can't. We can't support these people. We can't pay them. Do we? Do we just? Do we just sink, or do we do something about it? And you, I would say, like, if you are at a company and you are having these thoughts, like, really ask yourself, what are you getting out of the company? Not just in terms of salary, but career growth, and try to make a decision from there. Like, and you know, I personally, like, I think I could have left at any time, but I personally don't necessarily regret staying. For as long as I did, even though it was scary every time a layoff happened, but it, it just just understand, you know, it's capitalism. It's a cycle. Things happen, but like, you know, make a company doing layoffs isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's it's like something that naturally can happen. So, if you all found yourself laid off, or for people who have maybe or finding themselves in that situation, what advice would you all give someone in that situation? And this advice, I suppose, is not just for layoffs, but has been for at least for me in my career has always been um, like the don't burn bridges thing, like keep your networks good, um, keep in touch with people, like all of that stuff matters so much um, because it helps open a lot of doors that maybe aren't going to necessarily be open or, you know, like this idea of the market being flooded with so many people being laid off. Well, how do you stand out? It's usually through maybe your connections and, and being able to get referrals and all that kind of stuff. So like, I guess just that stuff has always been really important 
and even if you're an introvert and you hate that kind of networking stuff, like it's still, <laughs> it's a, it, you can, you can do that. You can be genuine and you can do that. And it is, it is beneficial. I, I hope everyone is doing this, but you know, they're like, from a financial perspective, I hope everyone has some savings that they're mindful of in case the most unfortunate things happen. You know, I, I don't remember what the saying is, you know, maybe have like three months of runaway. And and this is just like good advice in general, like whether you, layoffs are happening or getting fired. Um, but assuming you are in a good position and you do get laid off, as someone who's never been laid off, but has talked to people, like really just give yourself a little break. And, you know, it might be tempting to just jump, try to start like looking for jobs and stuff. And I I hope you're not in a position where you are financially struggling, where you kind of have to do that. But assuming you have some leeway, really give yourself a little break and take some time. Um, I I honestly think that's like for the best. That's good. Good advice. I, and I also, I like your advice, Stacey, about networking, don't burn bridges, kind of boils down to, like, don't be a jerk. Um, I know that, that's not helping people currently who are laid off, but it's generally good advice, which is tech is really small. People will remember if you're a good person to work with or not, if you were kind, if you were empathetic, if you're good at your job or did you slack off. Uh, it's a good time to touch your, your personal network and just like see who's hiring. Because like we said, and we've all alluded to, all of our companies are still hiring. They're just not hiring as much. And it's not like the, the gangbusters times of uh, like 2019. But yeah, get on LinkedIn, polish up your resume. Um, don't be afraid to look at startups because they're still hiring. I still get plenty of inbounds to, to my inbox where companies are still hiring. But I'd also say, as I, I know someone who was laid off twice this year, Try do your best to understand the company and the business and ask these questions before you start a job and like pin yourself to that because it is likely we're not done yet in this time when we're recording this episode. This could go on to 2023. It may ripple down into more of the medium-sized companies as well. So like try to try to understand these things before you you sign in another offer. Yeah, other than that, yeah. I like yours, I guess, is keep your chin up. Like it sucks, but like Stacey's story says, you know, it actually worked out in in the best. It sucks in the short term, but in the long run, it pushed her from what I don't want to speak for you, Stacey, but it sounds like it pushed you outside your comfort zone a little bit, forced you to try something new, which was good. And you wouldn't have maybe if you stayed at that company. So I guess try to keep, try to be optimistic about that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of you shared really good advice. And I think like to Stacy's point too it's like a lot of it is just like advice we would give for if you're applying for jobs is just like thinking about all those things and building that network I love that uh, another thing that I'll echo that we talked about earlier too is talk with someone like it, maybe it is a manager or mentor or things like that too is like this is not easy to go through for anyone and so I think like just kind of talking through those things can go a long way too all right well on that note, let's jump into picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose picks that we found interesting and want to share with all of you. Augustus, you want to kick it off? Ooh, me? Sure. Yeah. Um, I have two picks. Uh, my first pick is Evolve. Um, Evolve is a, a game um, 
that's kind of like a like a team of survivors versus a monster. Um, and this game has had a quite an interesting history. Um, but the TLDR of it is it died for a bit, and the company was slowly like considering turning it off. But then slowly, like this like community developed, and they somehow like were able to motivate the company to keep keep it going and they they've started uh started it again and they gave out a bunch of keys and yeah i wanted to give a shout out to the game and also none of my friends well i guess i didn't ask jem ryan or stacy if, if y'all want to play like you want to let me know but i have some extra keys that i'm willing to give away i think i have three or four so if you tweet front end happy hour a pun a funny pun <laughs> you can get a key sure why not i love you it know? yeah um yeah and then uh the second um pick i have is a chrome extension called moderator toolbox for reddit um i've started getting into moderating subreddits i've recently became a moderator for the rocket league subreddit how oh, cool honored I'm very honored to be a moderator there. And this is an incredible Chrome in- extension. If you moderate subreddits, definitely, you've probably heard of it, but um, I just think it's just really well done. So if you moderate subreddits, please check it out. Awesome. Stacy, what do you have for us? I've got two picks. I'm going to do a non-music pick for the first time, maybe ever. What? <laughs> I don't know. First one is, uh, it's a website um, called layoffs.fyi. And I figured maybe do something topical for this this show. Um, It's a good site to just find out what companies have been doing layoffs recently and how many people have been laid off. And um, there's some charts and stuff in there. So that might be helpful if you're looking for something new to see trends and where where you might want to apply. Uh, the second pick is a song called To Feel Again by John Hopkins, Kelly Lee Owens, Sultan and Shepard, and Jiro. That's uh, a big collaboration. Um, Kelly said of it, quote, the energy of this track encapsulate the most blissful summer for me, being reunited with live music, old friends, and new. John and I tried to capture the joy of that in sonic form, an expansive, cosmic, blissful euphoria. Um, I listened to this recently when I was driving back down the coast after going to check out some redwoods and it was just very happy, happiness inducing. So check that out. Awesome. Jem, what do you have for us? I have two picks today. Uh, the first one is a show on Amazon prime. I know I pick an Amazon prime video, but, uh, sometimes they have good content though. Their UX is just terrible. And I'll keep (laughs) saying that until they fix it. I, I have so many issues with it. Uh, the first show is called, or the show is called Jungle on on Netflix. And I started watching it, or on uh, Amazon, sorry, force a habit. And I, I was stunned by the trailer for it, which I, I'm really big into trailers. Like a good trailer will, will sell me on a, on a show. And as I'm watching this story unfold, um, it, it's just like, it got better and better. And towards the end, I was like, this is a fantastic show. So uh, the show is called Jung- Jungle. It takes place in... London in the future in kind of the, the hood, which and it tells a story of, well, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but the first story, there's two stories here. Uh, it tells a story of kind of um, a young black man, like trying to make it, his girlfriend's pregnant. He doesn't want to get into trouble, but he's friends with a guy who like 
ropes him into some pretty serious crime. And he's like, what are we doing here? This isn't like what I plan to be. And I'm, I'm saying that and it's like, okay, that's a story we've all heard before. We've seen the wire. Uh, we've seen like stories like that. Like that's nothing original. However, what makes jungle different is one, it, like I said, it's set place. It's set, uh, it takes place in future London, which has no bearing on the story whatsoever, other than like, it's just the, the place. And by doing that, they kind of take you out of the tr- traditional mentality where you're like, oh, I've seen the ghetto. I've seen crackheads. I've seen poverty. I, I know it. I've seen the story, blah, 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 blah. We've seen this before, but you put it in the future and it, it looks different. Like uh, an example of this difference is everybody drives classic cars. So they drive like vintage Aston Martins and vintage Mercedes and vintage BMWs. And they're all like polished up. They look fantastic, like museum quality. And the show doesn't ever explain that. It's just like, man, he's riding around in like a 1952 Jaguar and it looks amazing. And just like everybody does that. So they take kind of that aspect of, of the story out of the equation where people drive crappy cars, stuff like that. And you're like, oh, okay, this is a different show. Another one is like they really play with lighting a lot. It has the best lighting I've ever seen in a television show. Like, and they really, really play with it a lot to the, to the fact where like it it tells its own story. Um, the and I like I really am impressed by the show. The third one is all of the uh, important dialogue between characters and multiple characters is done in rap form, similar to Hamilton, except it's trap and drill style. Which, if you're not familiar with UK, that's a very uh, British style of rap. Uh, I will say it's difficult to understand them. I had to turn on the subtitles many times because like UK slang is completely different from American slang and they're already, and they're rapping it. But like, I just love this. They're rapping out their internal conflicts. They're rapping out their, their like struggles. They're rapping out like, I don't know. It, it's worth seeing for that. And it threw me because I didn't expect it. And the first time it happened, I was like, what's going on here? There. And then like you sort of get a, a feel for the show and like what's happening because the show doesn't like spoon feed you any of this stuff. It just drops you in the middle and it tells the story. Um, and the second the second act of the show um, is probably the best one because it explains the struggle. And it doesn't matter if they're in England, they're in America, whatever, like the struggle of a, a black person in modern times trying to get out and why you can't and why it's a trap. And like why it just pulls you back in no matter what you do. And it's like this slow moving tragedy and you see it coming and like, you know, nothing as good is going to come of this, but you have to watch it towards the end. And like, maybe something different will change And well, I won't spoil it, but the show's really powerful. I, I really enjoy the show. I, I highly encourage you to watch it. It's fantastic. Uh, on a less serious note, but um, just as good. I'm back. It's been a while for Valley Silicon. That's the part of the show where I point out things that are so ridiculous, so expensive, and they only exist because we here in Silicon Valley still get paid too much money. The question I have for you all today on the panel is, how much would you pay for a mouse, an average computer mouse? I'd pay $60 for an ergonomic one. 100 bucks. Yeah, 100 I'd, I'd pay 100 Okay, 100 Yeah, that, that's about right. I think mine costs about 100 and it's, it's awesome. It lasts months. What I have for you today is from Pointer Instrument. It's called the Classic Brown, and I'll just read quick read the description. It's a classic tone with a dash of heritage. The Pointer <laughs> Instrument features full grain leather with minimum treatments, finished with equestrian inspired, inspired stitching and an uncoated solid brass base. Uh, and you, uh, th- this will be in the show notes, so definitely check it out because it's worth seeing. It is a mouse. 
your average computer mouse, except it's all in brass on the bottom and the top is leather and it's brown leather. And this costs $217 for mouse, like, you know, a $10, what should be a $10 piece of equipment. I don't know what else to say about it. Other than it's a $200 <laughs> mouse. Wow. It's not going to make you more performant. It's not going to make you click faster. It's not going to help you win games. Uh, it just exists because people out there have too much money and they want to spend it on having a nice looking mouse. What is equestrian uh, stitching? Equestrian inspired stitching. I don't know. I'm too poor. I, I'm too poor <laughs> like, and uncle to know what equestrian uh, inspired stitching what? is. I just want to point out, this is like the ugliest mouse I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's hilarious. There's a leather mouse pad. Is that even is that even nice to put your mouse on? Oh, there is. Oh man, I didn't even check out the mouse pads. A sixty dollars. That's probably mouse pad. extra. That's extra. Yeah. Oh, it's extra. It's not even included. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this is the kind of things I picture designers having because you're like, you ever seen a designer's desk and it's always like curated and like tactically placed books and things like that. I feel like it's something they would go for, but your average developer. I don't know. My mouse gets dirty. I do not want leather for a mouse. That's anyways, that's my pick for Valley Silicon is this $200 leather in case leather and brass in case mouse for, uh, by pointer instruments. And those right are my on. picks. Like, how do I follow? I mean, this is really tough. Uh, That's awesome, Jem. I have two picks uh, for this episode. One is this time of year is probably one of the best snacks ever that you can only get at this time of the year is the white fudge covered Oreos. They are so delicious and they're hard to find sometimes too. But currently I've been lucky to keep finding them, which is probably a bad thing because the calories are not good but hey they're very tasty so that's my one pick and then my second pick is a netflix original uh show called drink masters it's a been a really just kind of chill cool competition show it's kind of on brand for us it's uh bartenders competing on creating creative cocktails uh it's is really cool to see what they create and seriously, how visually appealing they are. Like, we, we're not tasting these. We, we don't know what they taste like, but they look really, really cool. And of course, the judges are there tasting them. Now I want to figure out how do I pitch Netflix that they should have front end happy hour be the next season's judges? Because I think that would be really cool. Uh, I don't know how to figure that one out, but I'll, I'll work on that. Thank you all for listening to this episode. You can find us on Twitter at FrontEndHH or FrontEndHappyHour.com. Listen to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Any last words? Hope you all get severance if you do get laid off. Cheers. 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 Ring-a-ding-ding.